God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. Welcome everybody to the weekend. We have a very special treat in store for you. We have Aaron Pierce, who's the executive director of Steiger International, who's going to be speaking to us about something that is so relevant in our series, Overcoming Evil, the Victory. Steiger International is involved in bringing the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, worldwide to, a, to our global youth. And they are seeing thousands and thousands of young men and women giving their hearts to Christ. Not only that, but Steiger International has also spawned a lot of other great ministries that are changing the world for the cause of Christ. You know, we have a lot of needs right here in our own country and right here in our own community. And I know you're going to be blessed by what Aaron says. You're going to be challenged by that. And I hope it's going to make a difference in your life and the lives that you influence. Let's welcome Aaron Pierce. Good morning. Uh, it's such a privilege to be here with you this morning. I'm so thankful for Pastor Dale and Pastor Richard and the entire team here at Wooddale. We are so honored to be able to partner together with this church and reaching people all over the world. Uh, quick introduction about me. Uh, my name's Aaron, but more importantly, uh, I want to introduce you to my family. I have uh, one wife and four kids. We're kind of drowning in babies at the moment. We have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, four-year-old, and a one-year-old, and uh, we live a very crazy missional life. And if it wasn't for my wife, none of this would be possible. So I'm very thankful for them. Uh, we actually live real nearby here in Minnetonka, but we serve all over the world. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a quick history because I was born and raised in Amsterdam. Uh, my parents were missionaries there and they had a real heart to reach the young people of that city who would not walk into a church. And frankly, in a city like Amsterdam or cities all over Europe, that's most young people. And so they were really praying and saying, God, would you give us a creative way that we can reach these people who are so far from you and have such negative views of you? You see in Europe, they see these big, beautiful cathedrals and they're dead and empty on Sunday. And that's their view of God. Just a dead, empty tradition of the past, not relevant to my life, not something that I care all that much about. And so my parents were saying, God, would you show us a way that we can reach these people? And my dad would take a small group of people into the nightclubs and the bars and the places where they were, and they would have conversations with people and share Jesus with them and write down the names of the people and then pray all night over these people and ask God for a, a breakthrough in that city. And it was in that context that my dad felt called to start 
start a band. And he started this band uh, called No Longer Music, and it was a tool to go into their environment and, and to use the stage and music as a platform to share the gospel message in a language that these young people could understand. And so then in that context, many people started to come to know Jesus. And frankly, it was a problem because we were like, what do we do with all these people? And, and so what they did is they decided to start a Bible study on a big red barge uh, behind the central train station in Amsterdam. So there's a picture of it on the top left corner there. And so if you've been to Amsterdam and you got out of the airport, then you've actually been to the central train station and there's a river that runs behind it. And on this river, there's all these piers that jet out. And the Dutch word for peer is Steiger. So they named their Bible study the physical, physical location of, of this barge, and it was Steiger 14. And so that became the name of their Bible study, which eventually became a church, reaching young people all over the city who would not normally walk into a church. And then what happened is that this, this um, band that my dad started started to get opportunities to go to other places. Like they went to communist Poland or the Soviet Union and different places where they saw people um, reached and, and Christians inspired in these secular environments. And many people started to come down to Jesus and they started to identify themselves with the missions movement called Steiger. They said, we're part of Steiger too. We're Steiger Poland. We're Steiger Russia. And, and by the movement, the spirit, a missions movement called Steiger International developed, and that was the environment that I grew up in. I remember my dad would take my brother and I on tour with him, and we'd be in some tough, cynical nightclub somewhere, and they would perform their concert, and then they would bring my brother and I on stage, and my dad would say, these are my sons. I love them. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. Everything that I have is theirs. And if someone tried to hurt them, I would protect them with my life. And then he would say, and that is how God feels about you. And he would equate a father's love for his children with God's love for them. And, and I saw as a kid, I saw young people, tough young people with tears in their eyes, coming forward and praying to receive Jesus. And when you experience something like that, as a kid, I'm telling you, it ruins you in the best possible way. Because I saw that God was not just this nice tradition on Sunday, but that he had the power to transform lives. And from a young age, I knew I wanted to be part of something like that. And so what happened is this missions movement called Steiger International eventually grew into a worldwide missions organization. And our heart as a mission is to reach and disciple what we call the global youth culture. These are 17 to 35-year-olds all over the planet who are influenced by similar voices. So they're following the same social media influencers, playing the same video games, listening to the same music, and generally they're more connected and more similar than ever before. And so they're, they're connected and similar in, in superficial ways like music and fashion trends, but they're also similar in deeper things like worldview and lifestyle and morality. And you have this global culture where young people right here in Minneapolis are going to be very similar to people in Amsterdam or Beirut, Lebanon, or cities all over the planet. And generally, they're further and further from God. And so our heart is to go after these people. Now, let me illustrate this for a second. Take a look at this picture right here. Now, as you look at this picture and you see these young guys, look how they're dressed and the way they look and try to imagine your mind right now, where do you think those people are from? 
I mean, these kids could be from a coffee shop right around the corner, right? And the truth is that these guys are from Beirut, Lebanon, in the heart of the Middle East. These are young Muslims who have been very much influenced by the global youth culture. And, and as a result, they see the world differently and are open to new things. And because of that, these kids can be reached in entirely new ways. So it's a perfect illustration of the global youth culture. Now, when you consider the global youth culture, there's really four key influences. The first is pop culture and entertainment industry. So these, these are your music stars and, and your film stars. So this, the queen of, of the pop culture today would be Billie Eilish, someone that's not just entertaining, but very much influencing how people see the world. And then you have people that are finding their platforms on, on internet platforms like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, who have massive followings and are connecting with young people directly through these platforms. And then, of course, you have the world of video games where people are spending an incredible amount of time finding their sense of identity, accomplishments, and community in the world of video games. In fact, a study just came out recently that said the average 21-year-old male has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. And, and if you know, 10,000 hours is about the time it takes to be the master at an instrument or some fine craft. It's incredible the amount of time that is spent in the world of video games. And then, of course, lastly, is pornography, which is so pervasive, so common, not even something to be ashamed of, where studies have come out that say that for young people, it's worse to not recycle than it is to view pornography. And so if this, is, this is literally rewiring our brains and distorting our views on sexuality and relationships and love. And all of these things are coming together. And here's the thing about this. These things are not constrained by geographic or political boundaries. Their, their influence is massive, and it's, it's the rise of the influencers. Influencers like this guy right here, this is Logan Paul. He's a YouTuber, and he has 22 million subscribers on YouTube, and, and it is a guy that posts short daily videos on YouTube, and it, it has a massive following. In fact, his following is so massive, it's not just here in the U.S., where he's a kid originally from Idaho, but his influence is far beyond that. I, I want to show you a video of him showing up at a mall in Dubai, in the heart of the Middle East, for a meet and greet. And this was the reaction that he got. like the Beatles in the 60s or something, right? So it's this massively influential thing. The thing about this, this guy sold out the Staples Center in LA last year for a boxing match between, between him and another YouTuber from England. Sold it out and millions more watched online. So the influence of these guys is massive. And the, here's the thing to understand. The religion of the global youth culture is secular humanism. Now, secular humanism, let me define that for you. That, that basically means that God has been replaced. Man is at the center. And there's no outside authority that I have to submit myself to. There's nothing that no one can tell me how to live my life. Essentially, I am God. 
And if you pay attention, you see this message everywhere. This is a poster at a coffee shop at a Starbucks. And you see this poster. It says, don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are, quoting Lady Gaga. That is secular humanism. And it's so seductive. And this is the, the religion of the global youth culture. And it's having a devastating impact in our country. For example, the fastest growing religious group right now in our country is the religiously unaffiliated. Nearly, nearly 30 million have been added over the last decade alone. And so the way in which people see um, the world has changed drastically. Now, the thing to understand about this is that the consequences are devastating. Recently, a non-Christian friend of mine from high school posted on social media, and he said that his son, who was similar age to my son, that his son had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And when I saw that, that post, my heart broke. I mean, I saw my own son in the, that. I couldn't imagine the pain and the suffering that this guy was dealing with, with his son being diagnosed with brain cancer. And it was just devastating. And then, and then I looked at the comments that he got on his post. And he was getting things like this. Positive vibes. Sending healing vibes his way. Sending you all positive vibes and much love. And then he responded, thank you everyone for the supportive words of concern and positive energy that you have expressed for my son Peter. And when I read that, I couldn't help but think how hopeless it all sounded. You see, in the secular humanistic worldview, there is no transcendent hope. Just positive vibrations. And it's devastating. I mean, this is a culture and a generation overwhelmed with loneliness and anxiety and depression. And they're not looking to the church for answers. And these are our sons and our daughters and our grandkids. And when we hear this, our response should be like that of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, the extent to which our hearts are broken is the extent that we're going to do something about it. And when our hearts break, then we will sacrifice, then we will get uncomfortable, then we will lay down our needs and our desires to go after the lost. We need to have God's broken heart and we need to be awakened from our apathy and we need to enter in with courageous action because here's the thing we need to recognize. We are in a battle. Not against people. We're in a battle not against people. It's a spiritual battle against spiritual forces in the, in the heavenly realms. It's a battle for the souls of a generation who have been deceived. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the God of this age has, minded the, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You see, we're dealing with a generation that has been blinded and deceived. And that is why a persuasive argument or a really cool program is never enough because we're dealing with spiritual warfare here. And that it doesn't matter if I point at this wall and I ask you to look at it, no matter how many times I do that, you can't see it if you're blind. And so we have to recognize that this is a generation that has been blinded and that we are in a spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, but I look around at all of this and, I, and all that we're dealing with in our world and I see the brokenness and it can be overwhelming. We need God to move. Our human effort and wisdom are not enough. 
We need God's supernatural power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I can tell you from the years that I've been in ministry that we serve a God who is real and powerful and he wants to use ordinary people like me and like you. God wants to use you to bring hope to this world. And as followers of Jesus, we have victory. You know, by the blood shed on the cross, by Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we have the ultimate victory. And we need to step into that and engage this world that is searching for answers and searching for hope. But we need God's supernatural power because our efforts are not enough. So what does it mean and what does it take to experience God's supernatural power in my life? I want to go to Hebrews 11.6 because this is, in, in our mission, this is our banner verse. If you go to our, our international training center in Germany where we train our missionaries, you'll see a, a portion of this verse on our wall. You'll see it says, God rewards those who seek him with the desperate heart, which is a paraphrase of this verse. And if we look at that, it, the idea here is that we need to seek God desperately. But this verse is really interesting. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I think it's interesting that part that says anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists because it's kind of obvious, right? I mean, he's talking to a Christian audience here. Clearly, these people believe that God exists. What, what's going on here? And I think the idea is that it's easy to believe conceptually or intellectually that, that God exists. But then the real, the real proof is how those beliefs impact the way I live, that's the real judge of what I believe. Let, let me illustrate this this way. So as I mentioned, I, I grew up in Amsterdam. And we lived in a small apartment right in the center of the city. It was right on the edge of the red light district. It was a pretty rough neighborhood. My parents, they, they taught us how to avoid the drug dealers on the way to school. We caught a subway to school. And, and my parents tell the story of this one time, there was a, a soccer hooligans from a, from a different city that were in town and they were looking for a fight. And they decided that they were going to take on the drug dealers in our neighborhood. So next thing you know, in the street below our apartment, there was a full-on riot taking place where people are pulling up bricks from the street and sticks and having a full-on fight in the street below. Pretty intense context with this whole group of people. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that, a single police officer shows up. Single police officer, big group of people fighting, jumps out of his car, and he starts to run right into the middle of the riot. Now, all these people that were fighting, what they did is they, they stopped their fighting, they looked at the police officer, then they looked at each other, dropped their weapons, and started to run together down the street, being chased by this single police officer. And then after a, a few minutes, I think the police officer kind of came to his senses and realized what he's doing. And he, he backed up slowly and got into his car and probably called for backup or something. But for a moment, this police officer so believed in the authority of the one that he represented, in the power and the authority of the one that he represented, that he was willing to run into a riot. That is what it means to believe that God exists that we so believe in the authority and the power of the one that we represent, that we will go wherever he calls us to go, 
That's what it means to believe that God exists, but it's going to take courage. You know, when you're in a battle, courage is what it takes. And we have to understand that courage, courage is an interesting thing. Because here's the first of all, courage is not fearlessness. Courage does not mean that I'm not afraid. Courage means that I am willing to do, in this case, what God has called me to do despite those fears. If you look up courage, the the dictionary definition of Google, you're going to get the ability to do something that frightens you. You know, it's interesting because everyone faces fear. It's totally normal to be afraid. Even the great apostle Paul, who did such incredible things, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. He was so afraid that he was trembling. The great apostle Paul. And here's the thing, that is good news because that means that if you are afraid, you are in no way disqualified by being used by God. And if you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see that supernatural power, you're going to have to step through fear. And so the reality as that follows Jesus, this is, this is the reality we face. We're going to have to step through fear. And that means that we have to start to see things a little differently. When I was in college and back then I thought I was wise and I would say all these pithy things that, to impress people, one of the things that I would say is that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Now that sounds nice, and there's, I kind of understand what's going on there, but the truth is, it's not. It's not. It's, it's the best. It, when you're in the center of God's will, it's the most fulfilling, and he gives you peace that literally doesn't make sense, but it's not the safest, at least not in, in the, world's, the, world of the, the eyes of the world. And, and having courage means that we've got to take risks You know, as followers of Jesus, risk is a vital part of our faith. Risk is intrinsic to faith because nothing of significance happens without risk. Where there's no risk, there's no faith. Where there's no faith, there's no power. So give me an example of this. A number of years I was touring with No Longer Music, our band, and we tour all over the world, including unreached places like Turkey. And Turkey is a country that's 99.99% Muslim. And we were touring in different parts of the country. And one part of our tour, we showed up in a city. And when we got to the city, we found out that the concert that we were doing that night was organized by the local government, which was not a normal thing for us. In fact, we got a police escort into the center of town. It was pretty cool. And, and then when we got into the center of town, it was like this big carnival atmosphere. There was food and different stands and a big stage and just a really festive atmosphere. And on the stage, there was this banner. And it was in Turkish. And so I, I went up to our partner and, and our Turkish partner that we were working with, and I said, hey, what does that banner say? And he looked at it, and then his face kind of turned, and he said, um, it says, welcome to the Ramadan festival. You see, this, this city was organizing a festival to, comm- to, to celebrate the first day of Ramadan, which if you don't know is the Muslim holy month, and they invited us as the opening act. This is not normal 
we, we didn't really know what to do in this context. So I thought, okay, I need to go talk to our, our missionary partner there. We, we work with a missionary in Turkey. He was there for 30 years. I mean, this is like the definition of a real missionary. Like he, he's been to prison multiple times. I, one time I asked him, what's it like going to prison? And he was like, oh, it's great. I can catch up on reading. So, I mean, this guy is like a legit missionary. Surely he knows what to do in the situation. And so I went up to him. His name's Wilson. I said, Wilson, what do we do here? And he just looked at me and said, I got nothing. I don't know. I've never been in a situation like this. So I was like, okay, thank you. And, and so then we decided just to go off and pray. So we walked off and prayed and just seeking the Lord. We didn't want to be reckless. And, and the guy who had actually organized the tour for us, he, he had come to faith as Jesus. He was originally a Muslim and he was caring for us. And, and when he found out the situation that we were in, he didn't realize it. And he said, you know what? I don't want you to get hurt. Maybe you should just say, the, just say God and not Jesus because that's a less offensive thing. And, and he, but he, he was concerned for our well-being. And he thought, okay, let's pray about this. And we were praying. And as we were out in a walk, some came to us and said, do you realize that you're in a city with half a million people and not a single church? And we, as we listened to that and we prayed, we felt like God was saying, I love these people. And how else are they going to hear the truth unless you share it with them, unless you tell them? And so we didn't know what was going to happen. We had no idea, but we said, all right, we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus at the Ramadan festival. And in a weird kind of way, we found ourselves in a similar situation to that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, right? Who refused to deny, deny their faith despite the threat of being burned alive by the king. And I think that the verse is so powerful to me is Daniel 3, 17 and 18. It says, they boldly declared to the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And here's the key part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not. See, it's easy to read something like this, especially if you've grown up in the church and you've heard these stories. It's easy to read this with the end in mind, right? We know how this story ends, but they didn't. When they made this decision to stand and take a courageous step, they didn't know how it would end but they had determined to be obedient regardless of the outcome. And that's the kind of risk that God is calling us to take. And for us, it was risky to proclaim the name of Jesus at the Ramadan festival. We didn't know what would happen. There was a very real possibility that things could go wrong. I mean, we've had all sorts of pretty scary situations in the past, and we didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew that God had called us to do it. So we performed our concert, and our concert from the very beginning is about, about lifting up the message of the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, that he preached Christ and him crucified so that people would not be convinced by human wisdom, but by God's power. And that's what we need. So we lift up the message of the cross and then we proclaim and invite people to respond. And so here we were and we did this at the Ramadan festival. And all I can tell you is instead of people booing us or throwing stuff at us or rushing us, people cheered and clapped and they rushed our response table. 
We had over 100 people fill out uh, a form indicating they wanted to know more about following Jesus and get connected to our Bible correspondence course, which is our follow-up mechanism in Turkey. It was unbelievable. At the Ramadan festival, the mayor came on stage and, and thanked us for being there, and we were able to give the mayor's son a DVD about following Jesus. Only God could do something like that. That is truly supernatural. There is nothing that we can claim from that. But you see, when you're willing to take risks, God's supernatural power comes. Because it's not about me. It's not about my effort. It's only about him. Now, the thing that you have to understand is that when we made this decision to proclaim the name of Jesus at the Ramadan festival, I was still very afraid. In fact, I was so afraid that I was sick to my stomach. And I kept praying throughout the concert, God, take away the fear. And it never went away. The whole time it was there. And, but we had made this decision. And I think here's the thing you have to understand, that courage is not an emotion. It's not something that you muster up inside of you. Courage is a decision. Courage is a decision. It's a decision that you're going to trust God and his promises, and his authority and power more than worldly circumstances. So where do I get this courage from? The best answer that I can see is in Acts 4, verse 13, when it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, the reason that Peter and John had courage was not because they were smarter or more educated or more skilled than other people. It's because they had an intimate relationship with Jesus. Their confidence came from deep trust in Jesus and not themselves. See, the closer you get to God, the closer you draw to Jesus, the bigger that he becomes and the smaller that the world's obstacles become in contrast. So we got to draw close to Jesus to build up our courage. Now you might be listening to this example of the Ramadan festival and you're going, that's too much for me. I could never be in a situation like that. Now, you know, not everyone is called to quit their job and join a rock band and tour the unreached parts of the world. Maybe some of you are, but not everyone. But Every one of us is called to live a life of courageous faith in the context that God has placed you. You see that courage is like a muscle and that the more you use it, the more it grows. And courage is more about 1,000 small decisions than it is like that one big one. It's about a lifestyle of saying yes to God, one step of obedience after the other. And as you learn to take a step, as you continue to follow him, he builds your muscle of courage. He grows your faith. And then one day you will stand in front of your own Ramadan festival and you will see God's supernatural power at work in your life. So whether it's someone in your family, a coworker or the Ramadan festival, it's all about having the courage to take the next step of obedience. That next thing that God has placed in front of you He's speaking to you and he's putting that next step in front of you. And maybe for some of you, you've never experienced the supernatural power of God in your life and you want to. 
You know, maybe you've been around the church for a while. You've been around kind of, you've been around it and you've seen it, but you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never allowed him to work in your life. So I want to say to you, and I want to encourage you, say yes. Acknowledge your own brokenness that you can't do it yourself, that you're not good enough. Trust in him and he will fill you with his power. If this is you, there are people in the Welcome Center and online and, and who would love to connect with you, who would love to walk with you as you explore what it means to walk out this courageous faith in your, in your life. So don't miss this chance if God is speaking to you. Now, before, before we close, I, w- I want to say that you know, we're in the early stages of establishing what we call a Stagger City team here in the Twin Cities. It's in partnership and collaboration with Wooddale. And the purpose of our team is to mobilize followers of Jesus to reach young people who would not otherwise walk into a church. And I believe every one of you can have a role in that. I believe each one of us is called to play a role in reaching a generation that has walked away from the church. If you want to learn more and be equipped to reach people who are far from you, we have a resource for you. It's called Jesus in the Secular World. So it's, it'll equip you on how to engage the secular culture. It's a, it's a book, it's a workshop, and it's also an online video series available on Right Now Media, which Wooddale members have access to. And so this is a resource that you can draw. And if, if God is speaking to you, this is a tangible way that you can take a next step. But here's the thing. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers few. And I pray that the Lord of the harvest will fill you with courage and the power of the Holy Spirit and send you into the harvest field. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have victory, that you have the authority and power and that you have made that available to us. Lord, and we want to see your power at work. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see people that have walked away from you brought back. So Lord, would you use us and would you give us the courage to say yes to that next thing that you've called us to? Thank you for this church. Thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that they would continue to walk out every step that you've called them to and that you would move in ways that go far beyond the abilities and the resources of the church then that you would move in a supernatural way. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.